Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us this morning for our service online. It is great to have you with us. There are many things we miss in this unusual time, but foremost for me is the opportunity we have weekly to gather together and worship the Lord as the body of Christ. I really miss getting to see all of you, but I'm so grateful we can provide our services online. Thank you for joining us today. I think most of us have realized there are a number of things we've taken for granted in life, and one of those for me has been being able to get a regular haircut. I think I went about as long as I've ever been without getting a haircut until this past week. Now, you'll see a young man who stepped in to assist with my uh, amateur haircut this week. And I want to tell you something about this guy. I was so impressed with this young man. He's only five. I actually turned six yesterday, but five this week, the time of this picture. And uh, he recited all 39 books of the Old Testament in order. Genesis to Malachi. He actually sang them perfectly. Books of the Old Testament, all while running around in a big circle and eating two ice cream sandwiches. So that man has been well taught, I suspect, in the home as well as in uh, Noah's Ark over the years. And um, very, very impressed with him. Well, thank you again for joining us today. If we were meeting in person, I know that every week we would see few new people visiting our church for the first time, so I expect that some of you have joined us online over the past several weeks, and I look forward to meeting you in person whenever we're able to gather again. I want to take just a moment to share with you a bit about who we are as a church, and I think perhaps the best way to learn about our church in a very uh, quick way is by considering what we call our vision frame. You'll see our vision frame on your screens. Think of it as a window frame through which you're looking into the future. And in the future, we have what we call our Vision 2025. This is about a page and a half document. You can read it on our website. But our Vision 2025 expresses what we hope and pray that our church will look like in the year 2025. This is not something we just made up out of our own reasoning, but was much uh, talked about, prayed over by our leaders. And it is a very outreach-focused vision with increasing financial support and personal involvement in meeting the needs of others, people outside the walls of our church. And I'm happy to say that because of your continued faithful support of our church in these recent months, we are not putting this vision on hold, but are continuing to move uh, eagerly toward fulfillment of this vision. We're supporting all of our world and local missions and seeing some special opportunities in the midst of this coronavirus, especially for food. Um, And recently we got some pictures from some of our missionaries in India who uh, have found this a critical time to be able to distribute food. I understand that the packages you see arranged there on the floor of this building that each one of these uh, packets together uh, can feed a family of four for 30 days, mixture of rice and beans and things like this. Because we have missionaries on the ground in India and Africa who are able to get this food right to the people who need it, our support can really go a long way. And so you'll see packages being distributed in India 
and also by our friend Stephen Bonda in Malawi. Uh, Stephen gets into the very remote villages where he shares the gospel, where he takes food to people in need. And again, I thank you for your support of our church. We do our giving to missions out of our general fund and because uh, you're continuing to be faithful, we are continuing to reach out where we see need. Thank you so much for that. This morning we're continuing our series we call One Story. And we're looking at the unity of the Bible from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. And I hope we're seeing why we need the whole Bible every book of the Bible, and today we're getting to a most interesting Old Testament book, the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs consists of 31 chapters made up mainly of short statements intended to impart practical wisdom. A proverb might be defined this way, a saying concerned with making an instructive comparison. And the key word here is comparison. That's what a proverb basically is. Saying concerned with making an instructive comparison. Now, the purpose of the book of Proverbs is given to us at the beginning of the book very, very clearly. First verse in Proverbs reads, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, the practical application of wisdom, instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, in equity. Most of the Proverbs are credited to King Solomon, who is the son of King David, uh, having lived uh, close to a thousand years before the coming of Christ. There were other authors. Uh, Proverbs 30 has uh, the name of someone called Agur, A-U-G-U-R, Proverbs 31, Lemuel, but mostly Solomon. But the purpose of the book, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing. Proverbs is a very, very practical book, and it covers topics like our words, our work, uh, the handling of money, the need to flee from temptation and avoid, avoid those environments in life where we're tempted. Uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about our anger, the need to be able to control our anger. Proverbs teaches about the sin of slothfulness or laziness and the, uh, the great attribute of diligence in our work. Proverbs teaches us quite a bit about pride and humility, the dangers of pride, the value of humility, but it's an immensely practical book. I can remember right after I graduated from college and moved to Winston-Salem, I had my first job as a sales rep selling business products. And um, I would make sometimes as many as 30 cold calls a day. And that could be pretty discouraging. There's a lot of rejection when you're going out there making cold calls and people don't want to see you, they don't want to talk to you, they don't want to buy your product. And uh, it was easy to get discouraged. Moreover, there could be a kind of negative uh, environment in our office. We had a lot of turnover with other sales reps, but I felt God called me to stay in that job for little over eight years, and I found my greatest source of encouragement and strength in those years in the book of Proverbs. I remember there was a time when I was reading the, the book every week, trying to read five Proverbs a day, and I found 
in this book, encouragement for faithfulness in work, diligence in work, the importance of, of not complaining all the time. Uh, as the book of Proverbs says in chapter 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue, the importance of uh, applying God's wisdom to our, our work. And I commend that to you uh, for its great teachings about diligence and, and faithfulness. But there's also practical instruction that can help in our marriages and the handling of our money. It's a beautiful book. Now, one of the most important truths to, to take away from the book of Proverbs is this. God, God himself, is the source of all wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom, we read. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. God is the source of real wisdom. Furthermore, if we're to gain that wisdom that comes from God, it starts with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the starting place for gaining wisdom. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9 says, is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord has to do with a reverence for God, a respect for Him, high regard for Him, awe for who he is, the fear of the Lord, the starting place for gaining wisdom. And then the one who gains wisdom, we learn in Proverbs, is blessed by God. We read these words in Proverbs 3.13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver. Notice these words, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. The immense value of gaining the wisdom from God that we find in this beautiful book of Proverbs. Now, <clears throat> this morning, I'd like to look at one small section, section that Gloria Valls read for us just a moment ago, found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And the format of Proverbs 3 is really interesting. Uh, it goes kind of odd verse, even verse, odd verse, even verse. And in the odd verses, we have uh, some obligation in the even verses of favorable outcome. For example, Proverbs 1, my son, don't forget my teaching. In verse 2, length of years and life and peace they'll add. Uh, Proverbs 3, don't let love and faithfulness forsake you. You'll find favor and good success in the sight of man, and so on and so forth. Let's start at the beginning, though. How to gain wisdom from God. First of all, we read in Proverbs 3 and verse 1, remember His Word. The importance of remembering the words of God. Verse 1 again reads, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Throughout Proverbs, we read, uh, these words, my son, Proverbs 1.8, we read, hear my son, your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. One of the great ideas that comes to us from Proverbs is the importance of parents teaching their children, both fathers and mothers, instructing their children. Now, when Proverbs 3 verse 1 says, my son, do not forget my teaching, the Hebrew word for teaching here is the word Torah often used to refer to the law of God. And I think we can understand that the teaching referred to here in the book of Proverbs is those very words that come from God himself. Do not forget my teaching, we're told. 
This points, I believe, to the very great importance of memorizing Scripture. Memorizing Scripture. And parents of encouraging your children to memorize Scripture. Just like uh, the five-year-old in the picture who had, had memorized and could quote all the books of the Old Testament. Parents, there is great value in teaching your kids to memorize Scripture. When I was... I uh, must have been nine, ten years old. I had a grandmother who told me, I'll give you $100, David, if you'll read the whole Bible cover to cover. And believe me, that was a big task at my age, but that was a huge amount of money at that time. I've heard Pastor Andrew Wilde say, put your money where your values are. So uh, kids watching this morning, you might want to look at mom and dad and say, hey, I've been looking for a way to make some extra money. Uh, how about I memorize a few verses and you put your money where your values are? Maybe you'll pay me for memorizing some scripture. Remember his words. Remember his words. Number two, in order to gain wisdom from God, Proverbs calls us to embrace his steadfast love. We read in verses three and four. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck Write them on the tablet of your heart so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. The, the Hebrew word rendered steadfast love here is the word hesed. One of the most important words of the Old Testament has to do with God's covenant love, his faithfulness, his loyal love for his own people. Recurs throughout, for example, the book of Psalms. But hesed, God's loyal love, his steadfast love, finds its ultimate and greatest expression in God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and bear the judgment for the sins of His people. This, I believe, is the ultimate and greatest expression of God's hesed, His steadfast love, His covenant love for His people. And I think we, we read it very clearly in the book of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. Listen to these words, if you will. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's steadfast love in its greatest expression is seen in his initiative in sending his son to bear the judgment for our sins that we might stand before him forgiven simply because of our faith in Jesus Christ. If you have never embraced the steadfast love of God that's been revealed in the gospel of Jesus, you're watching this morning. I want to tell you that becoming a Christian is not about keeping a bunch of rules or even learning all the principles of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, but humbling yourself, acknowledging your sin, and recognizing that God in His great love sent Jesus is the remedy for our sin problem. On the cross, in the words of John, He became the propitiation. He bore the judgment, the wrath, rightly due our sins, though He was guilty of none. He took our place. God raised him from the dead, and through our faith in him, we receive the fullness of God's hesed, his steadfast love, 
can stand before him forgiven. If you have never received the saving work of Jesus and turned from your control of your life to his lordship, I would urge you this morning in prayer just to simply pray, God, I receive your saving work from me. Make me your follower today. Proverbs again tells us that gaining wisdom for, from God includes embracing his work for us, his steadfast love. And friends, knowing that God really loves you and that nothing and no one can separate you from his steadfast love is the greatest possible basis for peace and security in an uncertain time like we're in now. Remember his words. Embrace his steadfast love. And then thirdly, trust him. Trust him in everything. These verses in uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are probably the best-known verses in the book of Proverbs. And in, in thinking of memorizing verses, these would be two of the first I'd recommend. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Writer of this proverb is saying, don't just trust God in some areas of life, those areas in which it's convenient for you to look to God and pray to God and trust God, but in all of life, with all your heart, the entirety of your being, lean upon him, trust him. In the decisions of life that you need to make, pray to him. Prayerfully acknowledge your need for his guidance and he will make straight your paths. Number four, how to gain wisdom from God. We read in verses seven and eight, the need to humble yourself before the Lord. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. If God says something is wrong, believe what he says is wrong and turn away from it. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Grasp the reality that all the knowledge you and I could ever accumulate is not a drop in the ocean of the knowledge and wisdom of God. He is all wise. He is all knowing. He delights to give his grace to the humble. One of the um, most important principles that occurs later in Proverbs 3 is the value of humility. Uh, verse 34 of Proverbs 3 says, Toward the scorners, he's scornful, but to the humble, um, he gives favor. This particular verse is an often quoted verse elsewhere in the Bible, and the Apostle Peter quotes from it in 1 Peter chapter 5, where we read these words, for, quoting from Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. God opposes the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. Tim Keller, great author, pastor, writing about this need for humility, talks about how God's, the greatest expression of God's own humility was seen in the cross. He writes, the dishonor of the cross led to our being given glory and honor. And now the humility of repentance and simple faith in Christ bring the unimaginable honor of being in Christ 
adopted and accepted. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Humble yourself before the Lord. God opposes the proud. He gives his grace to the humble. One of the great marks of wisdom before God is humility before God. How to gain wisdom from God in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, we see the importance of honoring him as your provider. It is a wise person who recognizes that every good and perfect gift is from above. That anything we have, every good gift has been given us, entrusted to us by God. So that Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 read this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. A wise person recognizes God as the source of good and worships him in return. To honor God with our wealth is to worship God with our wealth, what we do when we give offerings. The principle of first fruits, of course, comes from the Old Testament times when people would harvest their crops and bring a portion of those, the first and best of their crops, to God. They'd bring them to the priest and worship God as an acknowledgement that the entire crop was a gift from God. This is related, I believe, to the Old Testament teaching on the tithe, which means a tenth, as people worship God with a, a tenth of their crops or their income or their gain. They were acknowledging, as we also should, I believe, that God is the source of everything. We worship God, and it's a wise person who recognizes that God is the source of all that we have. And then finally, how to gain wisdom from God Lest we think this passage is only about receiving uh, what we would typically consider blessings from God, we find teaching in verses 11 and 12 on submitting to God's discipline. Verse 11 reads, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves is a father of the son in whom he delights. And of course, to reprove means to correct. These verses are talking about discipline, correction, the way that a wise parent disciplines a child and a wise parent disciplines a child because of love for that child. We find the same principle taught uh, really throughout Scripture in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 12, we read, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So reproof or correction or discipline from God is part of being a Christian. Psalm 94 and verse 12 reads, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. You are blessed if God is disciplining you and correcting you and reproving you. It's a mark of God's love for you. So let me ask you this morning. From time to time, do you find God correcting you? Reproving you? Disciplining you? If a person can sin willfully, deliberately, knowingly against God in some known way, person can go out and just commit a deliberate sin with no remorse, no conviction, I'd be very concerned about the genuineness of that person's salvation. 
This is why the Apostle Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. One of the ways you know that you are a child of God is that God will instruct you and correct you and teach you and, yes, reprove you and discipline you when you need guidance. When you're willfully going against the will of God, there is a conviction of sin that leads to a remorse and a recognition that that is wrong. God disciplines those he loves, and it's a mark of wisdom to submit to his discipline. My son, again, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. So, Proverbs 3, 1 to 12, how we can gain this wisdom from God. But I want to raise a question now. And the question is, are there any shadows of Jesus in the book of Proverbs? I think the shadows of the gospel are a little more challenging to find in Proverbs than uh, many other books of the Bible. So are there shadows of Jesus in Proverbs? I think the answer is yes. Very important book in Proverbs is chapter 30 and verse 4, where we read these words. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? Of course, this bird, the writer's talking about God, right? The one who's done all these things. What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Years ago, I knew a, a Jewish man who was uh, very well taught in scriptures. He was a follower of Jesus. He had embraced Jesus as Messiah. And he told me this. He said it was this verse, Proverbs 30 and verse 4 in the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures that spoke to me. I read this verse knowing that it spoke of God. And I came to realize God the Father has a son. And that son is Jesus. He became a Messianic Jew, follower of Jesus, very, very knowledgeable in the scriptures. This, I believe, is pointing us to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the embodiment of God's wisdom. Jesus was talking to scribes and Pharisees one day, and um, he was often challenging them in what he said. They were attempting to trip him up in things they would say to him. And he talked about uh, an Old Testament figure, the Queen of Sheba, who came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, 42, Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus was speaking of the wisdom of God that was in him. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, the apostle Paul wrote, because of him, because of the Lord, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In Colossians 2 and verse 3, Paul the apostle writes these words of Christ that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, and knowledge. They are in Christ. Proverbs gives us 
extremely valuable guidance for wise living. But we need more than guidance. We need an eternal relationship with the one in whom is all wisdom. This relationship is offered to us in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'll ask a second time this morning, have you received the gift that Jesus provided in his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead? Have you turned to follow him as your Lord? Would you join me as we pray this morning? Father, we come today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for any listening who may be uncertain about his or her own salvation, that today would be the day that you would reveal your steadfast love to that person. That person would see his or her need for the gospel and would simply turn to you and say, Lord, I believe Jesus died on the cross, and was raised from the dead. Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord. I turn from my own lordship of my life. Make me your follower. Father, for the rest of us, would you increase our desire to know you better and love you more by being students of your holy word? Would you train us in Godly wisdom, the wisdom that is hidden for us in Christ. And Father, in this uncertain time in which we're living, would you let us shine as lights in the world? May others see our love and our good works and know that we're your followers. And may they then give glory to you. Continue your great work in our lives, Lord. Thank you for your goodness to us. And we pray. In your great name, amen.